Welcome to the Democracy Dispatch Podcast. I'm Justin Marsh, Political Outreach Director at Vermont Conservation Voters. This is your weekly scoop on legislative action as we work to push forward environmental policies for Vermont. Each Monday, we will take a look back at the week prior, preview the week ahead, speak with legislators and advocates on topics affecting our air, water, open space, and quality of life. Today's show is a bit different. I'll be joined by Lauren Hurl, Executive Director of Vermont Conservation Voters, for our halftime report. And we're going to get right into it. All right, let's recap the first half of the session so far. We're going to go through each of our policy initiatives as outlined in our common agenda, and we're going to chat about any progress the bills have made thus far, any conversation that's happening. Um, really just give a complete update on the first eight or so weeks of the session and what we could look forward to for the remainder of the session. So I'm with Lauren Hurl, Executive Director of Vermont Conservation Voters, and basically she is our halftime show performer. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And we're going to go, we're using the common agenda and we're just going to go right through, um, starting with uh, probably our most popular (laughs) policy this (laughs) session, which is the Affordable Heat Act S5. If by popular, you mean getting a lot of attention, I think we can take that, uh, that crown. Um, So Affordable Heat Act, again, has been a huge priority. This is one of the core recommendations of the state's climate action plan and is really uh, setting the blueprint for our heating sector, which is one of our most climate polluting sectors. Um, And so we really need a plan for how do we help Vermonters transition off of fossil fuels and to cleaner options, uh, weatherizing homes and getting into heat pumps or modern wood heat, things like that. And so the bill um, really sets out that framework for how do we have the fossil fuel industry responsible for uh, helping offer options to Vermonters and making it affordable for Vermonters to make that transition. And they have increasing obligations over time to have a cleaner and cleaner portfolio, the same way we've done with our electric sector. And so that bill has moved out of the Natural Resources Committee in the Senate unanimously then moved to the Senate Appropriations Committee, they uh, added an amendment that will bring the bill back to the legislature for a future revisit. And so before the program would actually go into effect, the bill uh, will be voted on again once people see kind of the details of this plan for the transition um, of our heating sector. And this last week, S5 was voted out of the Senate Appropriations Committee with the amendment that Lauren mentioned on a four to three vote. It was then voted on among the full Senate on Thursday, March 2nd for a second reading via roll call on a 19 to 10 vote. And as I'm recording this, actually on Friday, March 3rd, At present, as I speak, it is being voted on for a third and final time in the full Senate. We are expecting it to then transition over to the House when they reconvene following town meeting week. All right, next up, we have the Renewable Energy Standard. Yes, so this bill is really looking to update our renewable energy uh, standard Obviously, as you just <laughs> said. <laughs> um, 
So this bill is looking to really increase the requirements of generating more of our clean energy locally, in-state, and regionally, and making sure that uh, instead of being like under the current program, some of it can feel like a paper exercise. And we really want to make sure that uh, we are doing our part on climate and so that our electric sector is really resulting in more renewable energy being built and feeding our grid. Um, and so that is the fundamental crux of it. And this legislation has, uh, legislation's been introduced in both the House and Senate. Um, there's a couple different approaches that the bills have taken, uh, but we're going to be really looking at, is this going to drive the development of new renewables and not just kind of make us look good on paper. Awesome. Uh, for transportation affordability, there's a lot going on with that. What's uh, What have we done? So the House Transportation Committee has taken quite a bit of testimony and has really looked at a suite of, of ideas and concepts so you've got a whole slate of things from, you know, how are we dealing with public transit and funding microtransit? So some of the like local, like a public transit Uber kind of program. Um, so grant programs for that, uh, as well as, you know, continuing our commitment to electric vehicle incentives and um, updating our infrastructure so that EVs are going to be um accessible and work well for Vermonters all over the state. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of things in the works. Um, the transportation bill is one of those bills that will not be voted out until after the town meeting break. Um, so we're in a little bit of a wait and, wait and see mode for that bill of what ends up getting into the transportation bill for the kind of clean transportation provisions that we're looking for. Uh, but we'll be continuing to keep you updated on where that lands and making sure that we're doing as much as we can to have, um, you know, public transit, uh, bike, walk, uh, biking and walking uh, programs to make it easier for people to get around in different ways. And um, yeah, so stay tuned on that one. Another priority that we outlined was funding environmental justice. Yeah, so last year, uh, the state passed the first comprehensive environmental justice policy in Vermont's history. And we're now at the point where we really need to make sure that we are funding that um, at a level and over the long term so that we're setting it up to successfully implement the provisions that were uh, included in the bill that we're really incorporating environmental justice into our state's work and our uh, environmental regulations. And so um, one of the things that we're going to be advocating for is um, as opposed to putting one-time funds, which is what the administration has come in with for their initial proposal um, to fund this program, that we really need to make sure that that is long-term, ongoing, robust funding, for example, so we can hire people and that they can expect that they're going to have a job over the long-term and not just you know a one-term position. So that's going to be a big priority for making sure we're making the EJ bill, uh, the environmental justice bill, actually successfully implemented. All right, there's been a lot of conversation in both the Senate and House around housing, uh, smart growth housing in particular. Uh, what have we seen? 
the housing conversations really started in the Senate Economic Development, Housing and General Affairs Committee. And so they have been working on a really omnibus bill, looking at a suite of strategies for how are we making it easier to develop housing and encouraging housing in smart growth locations. So in our downtowns and villages, uh, doing denser housing, more infill um, in those communities. So there are a whole bunch of provisions for how we can make that easier and kind of taking away regulations that have made it hard to develop denser housing. Um, so a whole bunch of things that from the environmental community's perspective are really great smart growth policies. And we continue to just make sure that policies are striking the right balance between making sure that we are encouraging housing as we need to as a state, but also at the same time, protecting our environment and natural resources. So, you know, finding there's definitely, you know, some some push and pull in that uh, to make sure that we're, we're doing it right and we're bringing that environmental perspective to things like, you know, what we do on Act 250 and, and so on. And 30 by 30 land conservation, there's been a lot of testimony. Yes. So this bill, again, would set a target for the state of Vermont to conserve 30% of our lands by 2030 and 50% by 2050. And this is really aligning Vermont with both national and international efforts to conserve biodiversity and make sure that we're protecting the landscape that's essential for human health and um, for you know, a thriving planet together. Um, so Vermont uh, passed similar legislation last year that was vetoed by the governor, uh, but they've taken it back up and made some updates um, to it. And so that bill has been worked on closely by the House Environment and Energy Committee, and um, they have moved it through. That's where the action has been. Um, it, and we're hoping to see a floor vote on that bill soon. Another priority that we outlined was protections for our riparian er areas, rivers, wetlands, um, and they have not taken that up quite yet, correct? Yes. So we're still hoping to see action on some uh, policy that will move the conversation forward on better protecting um, areas along our rivers and streams and better protecting wetlands. Uh, so hopefully there can be some action before the, the crossover deadline, that deadline that's coming up soon after town meeting week, where you have to pass bills out of their core policy committee to kind of keep them alive for the year. Um, but either way, we're, we're going to be advocating to, uh, to put in place uh, programs and do some studies really to look at how can we create programs that are going to better protect um, these really important areas. All right. And PFAS, we're, we're talking about more toxics and more parts of our everyday life, consumer behaviors and products. So what is the legislation there and has there been any movement? For a number of years, Vermont has really been a leader in addressing toxic chemicals and trying to reduce Vermonters exposure so we have passed bills, for example, last biennium to restrict PFAS chemicals from a whole bunch of different products, food packaging, carpets and rugs, and 
and so on. And so this year we were really looking at building on that to try to restrict PFAS and other harmful chemicals from personal care products, things like shampoos and lotions and, you know, the things we slather on our bodies, you know, we should be getting these chemicals out of them. Um, also textiles, menstrual products, um, and artificial turf uh, <laughs> fields. Uh, so continuing to try to just get these chemicals out of our products. We know that once we bring them into our state, you know, we're exposed to them when we use the products. They then also, they're persistent. They stick around. They're dubbed forever chemicals. And so they then contaminate our water, our air, our soil. Um, so create all these downstream, really harmful ongoing effects as well. So we just need to turn the tap off of bringing these chemicals into our state. Uh, so that bill um, we're going to be continuing to work on and push for action, hopefully before the crossover deadline so that we can try to get that over the finish line this year. But we'll see. Keep pushing for that. And there's been move to expand the bottle bill as well. Uh, you gave testimony this session and where are we at with that? So that legislation has been under discussion for quite a few years. Uh, and really it's looking at trying to have the bottle bill actually reflect the breadth of uh, beverages that are on the market today. When the bottle bill was enacted in 1970, you basically had soda and beer and liquor were what was available. And so that was what was covered under the bottle bill. And now with bottled water and sports drinks and all of that, um, there's, you know, as a consumer, you're like, is this can that I'm drinking? Is it part of the bottle bill or not? And it's confusing and it doesn't really make any sense. And so trying to update it to just be beverages across the board um, and the bill also has some really important um, updates to the, the redemption system on the back end. So something that consumers wouldn't really see, but that would uh, be seeking to make the program more efficient and help supporting our redemption centers and making sure that there's more access to redemption for uh, Vermonters in all corners of the state. Uh, so that bill has been taken up um, and worked on closely by the House Environment and Energy Committee. And um, again, this is one that we are anticipating a, a floor vote um, after the town meeting break and hoping to see some forward action on that. And finally, we have ranked choice voting, which I gave testimony on. Yes. For the environmental community, we've really uh, acknowledged in recent years that a healthy democracy is essential to a healthy environment. Uh, so we've been looking at what are democracy initiatives that would help really foster good participation from voters, um, good public dialogue, uh, make it feasible for all kinds of candidates to be running and so on. And so we view um, implementing ranked choice voting as a policy that is right in line with that. Um, some of the benefits that places who have already implemented ranked choice voting is you see less vitriolic campaigns because people are vying to be even if they're not your first choice candidate, maybe they'll be your second choice candidate. So it doesn't benefit people to be really divisive on the campaign trail, uh, which we're all seeing the negative impacts of uh, 
super aggressive and nasty campaigning. Um, it also makes it easier for a variety of candidates to run. Um, you, you know, there's been scenarios where it's like, well, I don't want to run because I don't want to be splitting the vote between two people who might be more closely aligned and flip the election to someone who um, fewer people support, but weren't dividing the vote. So you can avoid some of those kinds of scenarios. Last week, the Senate Government Operations Committee decided to shift their focus on which elections and when they would look to implement ranked choice voting. So the bad news is that based on the concerns over timeline, rollout, and education for voters, the city and town clerks have convinced the committee chair and the secretary of state's office that it's no longer viable to continue to push for implementation for the 2024 presidential primary election. So while this is unfortunate and we disagree that it is impossible to be accomplished, it is not possible to continue to push at this for the presidential primary in 2024. The good news is that the committee and the Secretary of State's office remain committed to ranked choice voting and do want to move the reform forward in a meaningful way. They have coalesced around changing the bill to authorize municipalities to adopt ranked choice voting without needing to get a charter change approval from the legislature and would put into law using ranked choice voting for federal races beginning in 2026 and presidential primary in 2028. The bill would create a summer study committee made up of lawmakers, clerks, and the Secretary of State's office, as well as stakeholder groups to work on the details of implementation, which include voter education, clerk education, tabulation and centralization process, financing, etc. They believe that authorizing ranked choice voting for local elections before 2026 will help build trust in the process and help educate voters before statewide implementation. They've directed legislative council to draft those changes and will revisit the bill soon. All right, well, that about wraps it up for the Common Agenda. Of course, you can access the Common Agenda on our website, vermontconservationvoters.org, and go through all of the information that we outline. Lauren, thanks so much for that marathon of information. Uh, you did great. It's <laughs> a lot. There's a lot of issues we're working on, a lot of important stuff uh, that we need to get done for Vermonters. We'll be taking next week off and we will return the following week with all sorts of updates on everything that we just outlined. Great. Now it's time for our climate stat of the week. Three. That is where this winter ranks on the list of the warmest winters on record for the Burlington area. After analysis, the NBC5 First Warning Weather Team has confirmed that the meteorological winter 2022-2023, which runs from December 1st through February 28th, was one of the warmest in over 130 years of record-keeping for the Burlington area. Altogether, it was the third warmest winter on record. Daily temperature records go back to the 1880s for the Queen City, Notable, the number of sub-zero low temperatures was unusually small this season in Burlington. An average winter season in the past 30 years has had around 12 days below zero degrees, but this winter only featured four. Across the northeast of the United States, many weather stations 
also reported and recorded a top three warmest winter with almost all of them being in the top 10. Over the past 50 years, winter is the season warming the fastest across the United States due to climate change. The rate of warming is highest over the Northeast, where winters are over five degrees warmer than those in the 1970s, which if you are a keen listener of the Democracy Dispatch, you would know from one of my first climate stats of the week in our early episodes. Our snowfall this year was the 67th lowest with nearly a foot less snow than average. Our average low temperature was 22 degrees, which is over six degrees warmer, accounting for the third warmest figure. And our average high temperature was 36 degrees, about five degrees higher than average, marking the fifth warmest on record. We are halfway through our first season of Democracy Dispatch podcast. If you're listening to this on Monday, March 6th, when it's released, this is a reminder that tomorrow is town meeting day in Vermont. It's a great time to go back and listen to episode two for my conversation with Susan Clark, which is all about Vermont's democracy traditions and includes uh, a fair amount about town meeting. As a reminder, with the legislature on break this week, we will not have a new episode next Monday, but instead we'll return on March 20th with all the excitement following crossover. Until next time, thanks for listening.